I just need to say for the record, thank you Kevin and, and team for leading this today. I just need to say for the record, you know, it is so wonderful to have you here. Um, we remember some very, very long stretches of time where Sundays this building was empty and it was horrible. And we understood it, but it was horrible. And so it's just so great to have you here. Um, the church are the people, it's not a facility. And so when you are here, it's just great. So I just need to say it because it, I still don't take it for granted. And I appreciate all the work it takes to get here on a Sunday morning. Uh, but just we appreciate it. So I was looking through my files just before I was going on vacation, uh, trying to tidy up my office a little bit so I didn't come back to this giant mess. And um, I found something that I forgot I had. And it was of great value to me. It was my very first sermon. A copy of my very first sermon is about six pages long. You can see here I preached it at Chester United Baptist Church where I was a summer student down on the beautiful south shore of Nova Scotia. You can see that I preached it on August 6th, 1995, 28 years ago. And uh, yeah, it was six days before I was ready to be married. Um, so it was, uh, it was a big deal. And I remember the church, I can still picture the environment, I can remember how it felt. But as I was looking through my sermon notes, so many things struck me and were kind of nostalgic for me. My voice, the, my preaching voice was so much younger. I realized I didn't really understand the passage I was talking about as much as I probably should. As I read through the notes, I could tell that I was nervous to make a good impression. And it was way too academic. How academic? It had footnotes. Okay, so some of you, I went to university for seven years. I had to make footnotes for term papers. It's really hard to turn that off. Some of you who are finishing up your MBA, you're gonna have footnotes for your grocery list because you've been so trained to do footnotes. But what I also remember was an incredible sense of freedom when I was preaching that sermon because it was the first time I preached a sermon when nobody was marking it and nobody was kind of formally evaluating me. The first three sermons I preached before that, I preached in preaching class and the class sat there in their seats with a grid and a pen and paper. And you sat there and pretended you were preaching to a congregation and while you did, they marked you. And they made note of things that made sense or no sense, distracting wild arm movements, stories that were funny that had absolutely no connection to the message, and so on and so forth. And then when you were done the sermon, you would sit down and they, everybody would get up and they would evaluate you. And so for the very first time in my life, I got up to preach on this Sunday morning in the beautiful South Shore of Nova Scotia, and I felt free because nobody in the audience was evaluating me, right? Or so I thought. Today we're going to do the same kind of thing. We are going to look at the two sermons that the writer Luke captures in the book of Acts. One in Acts chapter 2, starting at verse 14, and one in Acts chapter 3. And Luke, at the very beginning of his book, capturing the birth of the church, records two sermons that Peter, the apostle, preaches. And this is important because it helps us get a, an understanding of what was absolutely essential to the Christian faith at the time the church was born. 
What did Peter decide to include in this message that was absolutely foundational for the believers to understand? And maybe what wasn't? What things would he talk about? What things would he not talk about? What things are central to the Christian faith? And what things might be more secondary issues to the Christian faith? And in these two sermons, if you want a really fun afternoon, print off Acts chapter 2 sermon, Acts chapter 3, read them, highlight, draw arrows, make all the connections. This is the fun part of sermon preparation. And just to kind of get a bit of a sense of what is Peter saying to us as the church as we think about being people who proclaim the good news of Jesus in our day. In the fall of 2023, what does it look like for you and I to be proclaiming the good news of Jesus and what can we learn from these first two sermons? Well, we're going to look at four things. There's more than that, but we're going to look at four today. We're going to open first in Acts chapter 2. It's on page 1692 if you're using the red Bible in the seat in front of you or you can look it up on your phone as well. Acts chapter 2. We're actually going to start reading at verse 12. You'll remember just before we read or before we start reading that last Sunday we talked about the day of Pentecost. The day when the, the Holy Spirit came upon the church and gifted them to speak in languages they'd never learned in school that they didn't learn at home, and to be able to communicate the wonders of God to as many as 14 different ethnic groups who were gathered for the festival of Pentecost. It was a significant event. So that has just happened, and then we pick up in verse 12. Amazed and perplexed, so people were shocked at what they were seeing, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they've had too much wine. And here comes Peter's first sermon. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. Now, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Now remember, Peter is speaking to a Jewish audience, so passages, being able to refer to the book of Joel was easy for him because his audience would have been familiar with these words. Joel, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy or give a word of God. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, which is to say there's nowhere where God is not going to be active. As you and I inhabit with the Holy Spirit in us, go places, God's spirit is going to go to those places, and he's going to be active. And he's going to turn everything upside down. Verse 20, the sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So Peter is preaching this sermon to a Jewish audience in response to the day of Pentecost and the misunderstanding of what it was. And he quotes this prophet Joel. Now, this promise of the Holy Spirit coming on the people is not a new promise that would not have surprised the audience. What would have surprised them is on whom the Spirit was going to fall. Sons, daughters, old, young servants, both male and female. This is the Bible's way of saying everybody in between. It's falling on all people. 
Now, many commentators talk about how the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit comes on believers and gifts them to speak in languages they did not know, to communicate to all of these people groups that were gathered there that day, and now the Spirit falls on both men and women, boys and girls, young and old, servants and masters. It's his way of saying that the curse is now being undone. That the impact of the fall in Genesis chapter 3, where men and women who had functioned in equality, got, their relationship was broken and skewed and has been ever since. That the relationship and breakdown between people groups and ethnic groups and co different cultures, that the change challenge between different economic statuses, that is all such a part of our broken, broken world. The Spirit comes and says, a new day is coming. My Spirit falls on all people and all people will be able to serve and minister because of the Spirit's power in their life. Meaning this, ministry is not for pastors and priests and deacons and elders or educated people or people who grew up in the church. For the believer who has the Holy Spirit in their life, they are now called to be a person of service. And I don't know what you picture when you think about the day of Pentecost. Maybe you picture when the Holy Spirit fell, just the 11 apostles preached. No. Paul, or Peter is giving us the image here that when the Spirit came, little girls prophesied in languages that they didn't know growing up to people who were in the audience who spoke that language. Young men, old men, servants spoke of, of the wonders of God in a language that they'd never learned to people in that day who heard it. Which means when God's Spirit comes upon His people, we are all called to be servants. Now, Luke captures quite brilliantly here that the people who first saw the day of Pentecost, not everybody understood it. Some people confused it for drunkenness and thought, boy, it's nine in the morning, but these people have been going hard all night. Now, these were really good religious people. They knew their Bibles, but they misunderstood what God was doing in their day. And it is so tempting when we come to a passage like this and say, I can't believe they misunderstood what God was doing. If I was there, I would have known it was the day of Pentecost, right? And we can read these stories, and we can assume that we would have been one of the people in the group who completely knew what was going on and understood everything. But if we're honest, we all have moments where we misunderstand what God is doing in our day. We have moments where we're not quite sure what is happening, and we're quick to judge it, or we're quick to ascribe um, value to it, but we have to be humble. This uh, past spring and summer, there was a, a school in Kentucky called Asbury University, and during a routine chapel service, there was no special speaker, it was just kind of a normal special chapel service. God poured out his spirit on that gathering for some reason. And the students started worshiping and praying for the chapel period, and then they stayed for the afternoon, and then they stayed all through the night, and they kept going the next day, and people started coming from around the university, around the world, and for two weeks, people gathered for prayer and worship uninterrupted. Why, we don't know. Probably in a generation we'll be able to look back and see the fruits of that moment. But when it was happening, there were some who were like, this is one of the most beautiful, sweet things the Spirit has done in our day. Let's join in, participate, and share it. And there were others who were skeptical and thought, 
I think this is a recruitment strategy of the university trying to boost enrollment. We're all quick to judge. Luke reminds us that we need to be humble. And that the prayer of the church ought to be, give us ears to hear and eyes to see what you are doing, O Lord, in our day. Give us a spirit of discernment. So as we read this first ever sermon, Peter starts out by talking about how the spirit moves in a new way. And he pours out his spirit on all people, all ages, male, female, from all different backgrounds, reminding us that the church is not a movement of pastors and paid staff. It's not a movement of deacons. It's not a movement of educated and trained professionals. It's a movement of people led by the Spirit of God. One of the values of a Baptist church is what's called the priesthood of all believers. And it's simply a reminder that each of us in Christ are a priest, that we are all able to experience God on our own. We're able to relate to Him without the need of a pastor or a priest. And we can all administer God's grace to other people. But it also means we are all servants of God and we are called to be people who are using our gifts to empower the church to move forward. Which is why we're doing this Connect event today. We aren't just looking for warm bodies to sit in a room to meet quota. You have gifts. God's Spirit has given you gifts. And our church needs them. We need you to use your gifts to do all the things that we feel God is calling us to do. And so we hope that even as you uh, take time this afternoon to visit these booths and chat with people, you'll, God will use that time to help you find a connection. It also means that as we do youth ministry and kids ministry, these aren't just kids who are babysitting until they get older and can do real things. If they are people of faith, the Spirit of God lives in them, and it's our job to help them discern how has God gifted them, and where should they be using their gifts. It also means that every time someone who's maybe older says to me, I did my thing, I had my day, I'm just going to sit back now, it's someone else's turn, then you're wrong. Because you've been given gifts, and God needs you to use them, and maybe they're new for this season, but I challenge you to look for opportunities. It also means if you're a woman, and if God has given you gifts to preach, you should preach. If God has given you gifts of leadership, you should lead. If God has given you gifts of shepherding, you should shepherd. God decides what gifts people get. Our job is to help people discern the gifts that God has given them and give them opportunities to serve. And as we do, as Paul would talk about in the book of Corinthians, the body of Christ is built up, takes shape, and has impact in our day. So the first message from Paul's or from Peter's sermon is that God gives his spirit to the church and empowers us. The second is that we are a surrendered people. Now Peter knew that his audience was Jewish, and he takes a fair portion of his sermon to help the people realize uh, what good preaching should do is help them understand who Jesus is more clearly. In fact, in Acts chapter 2, verse 36, we get this lovely verse. Therefore, let all of Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. There are very few essentials in the Christian faith, probably fewer than most of us think. Fewer things that you must believe in order to be a child of God, but to believe and confess that Jesus is Lord is an essential. There were many ideas in, in, Mark, in Peter's audience about who Jesus was and what he was about. 
And Peter's knew that I need to help people understand that Jesus is, in fact, the Messiah, the Son of God. And while the people that you and I are reaching out to probably uh, do not always carry a Jewish background, it's still our job to help people discern who is this Jesus as Lord and Messiah, because they, too, will have many different understandings of who Jesus is and what it means to follow him. And we need to help people realize that if you're going to think about Christianity, if you're going to wrestle what it means to be a person of faith, the place to start is what do you do with the person of Jesus Christ? And to walk with them so they can get to the point where they choose in their own to say, he's Savior and he's Lord. And we surrender our lives to him. We all surrender our lives to something. Each of us. We surrender our lives to something. Maybe it's a vision of life of ease or of wealth or of success. Maybe it's keeping parents happy or keeping people happy or whatever it might be. We all surrender our lives to something. So part of our witness as Christians is how is it that we're going to fight off these old gods, these old lords that have tried to reign and rule over our life, and what does it mean to live my life with Jesus as the Lord? If you grew up in a family where being wealthy was the most important thing, that was kind of the God for your family, then living with Jesus as Lord is going to take some work. It's going to take some challenge, some discipline, some intentionality, as Paul would say, as working out your faith with fear and trembling. Each of us have things competing for the lordship of our hearts. And each of us is wrestling and learning what does it mean to live the full of my life with Jesus as Lord. This was the mark of the first church, maybe the mark of ours. Third, we are a repenting people. Faith starts with repentance, but it must continue to be a life of repentance. In both Peter's sermons in chapter two and chapter three, he reminds us of this beautiful call to repent. This beautiful because it's the first words out of the mouth of Jesus, who when he came said, repent, the kingdom of God is near. Now repentance means I'm going in this direction, then something happens and I make a decision to move and go in the other direction. And Jesus reminded us and Peter reminds us that repentance is essential to life. When you realize that you're lost and you get the information that will point you in the right direction, you take it. That is Repentance. If you have financial troubles and you go to the bank and they talk to you about, here's some of the behaviors that you're doing that are leading to the problem. You need to do these behaviors instead. Then you repent and you go in that direction because you want to experience financial life. If you're not physically well and you go to your doctor and you say, look, I've been having a steak and cheese sandwich for breakfast, lunch, and supper for the last 12 years, and they say, oh, here's some information you should have. You should stop doing that. And then you turn and you go in a new direction. This is what repentance means. And it's not a one-time decision. That it's the longer you and I follow Jesus as Savior and Lord, there should be moments in our lives where we say, whoa, I've been living with this assumption my whole life. It's wrong. I'm going to repent of it and go in a new direction. Oh, I've been thinking this way about this situation or a certain person all of my life, and it's wrong. I'm going to repent and go in a new direction. One of the marks of the church ought to be that we are repenting all the time. 
as we come in contact through the scriptures, through the Holy Spirit, through Christian community, and are growing in our faith and discovering, Lord, there's some things in my life I need to change. I'm going to go in a new direction. And he promises here the forgiveness of sins. Peter knows a few things about forgiveness of sins. You know, it's interesting to me, I don't know, just in that verse 14 where it describes Peter standing up and in a loud voice preaching to the people. I'm struck by that because in just a few weeks before, Peter was hiding behind a barrel at night denying Jesus three times while a teenage girl called him out. What a change. The spirit of God in his life. What a change. But he'd left the church. He'd left and gone back to fishing. And Jesus, after he was resurrected, goes and finds people, Peter, and calls him three times to come back. Peter knows a few things about forgiveness. This incredible gift. And maybe you know people, maybe it's your story, who are trying to numb pain, deal with disappointments, hurts, regrets or whose life is limited because they've got shame and they can't go here and they can't hang out with this person and they can't do that because of something that had happened. God's forgiveness brings healing and restoration to each of our lives as we give that over to Him. And maybe today, maybe today the thing that you need to hear from this message is that God wants to and will forgive you and give you peace. Lastly, that we're a people of hope. Let me read just a small portion from Paul's or Peter's sermon in Acts chapter 3. I'm going to call him Paul for 10 more times here this morning. Starting at verse 17. Now this, this sermon is a little bit different because Peter's preaching because they healed somebody and everybody got really upset thinking, wow, you guys must be gods because you have the power to heal. And they were saying, no, 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 no. This comes through the power of faith. And then he starts working through teaching them who Jesus is. And then in verse 17 we read, now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders, meaning when they crucified Jesus. But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that this Christ would suffer. So repent. Turn and go in a new direction then. Turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Christ who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. I love that phrase, times of refreshing. And maybe you've experienced them in your life. You've been exhausted, worn down, beaten up, for, and the Lord meets you in a moment, and you are refreshed. It literally means to put air back into your lungs. Now, last Saturday, I was out for a bike ride, and I was biking up a really, really, really steep hill. Uh, I was probably going about one mile an hour, truth be told. I was barely making it up the hill. My lungs were burning. I was gasping for air. My legs were burning. And all of a sudden, this demon-possessed dog starts running after me. And it was a big dog. And at first, I thought, oh, it's going to run beside me. But it started to bark. And then it tried to start biting my legs. And so I was really scared, and I was out of gas, but I started pedaling as hard as I could. One leg pedaling, the other dog kind of moving so the dog didn't bite me. I thought, maybe I'll kick the dog. But I said, no, because then he's bigger, and he'll knock me over, and it'll be game over here on the side of this street. But here's what I knew. I knew that the top of the hill, I was almost there, and at the top of the hill was a long descent for a long period of time. And so as I got to the top of the hill, thankfully the dog was out of gas too, and I started to coast, 
and I could feel the wind in my face, and I could feel the air come back into my lungs, and I was refreshed by, the, by getting past this animal. We all, we live in a time between when God gives the Spirit and when Christ will come a day, come again one day. We live in this in-between time when life is difficult and there are serious challenges. And God promises to meet us in these times with his refreshment, that he will refill our lungs, give strength to us as we need it, and give us through his spirit the reminder that he is still in control so I can breathe deeply. That regardless of what we face, that God will give us what we need for life and for godliness. That if we get bad news or even experience tragedy, we know ultimately how God ends the story. But there's hope that the Messiah is coming someday to set all broken things right. So we have hope even in the midst of difficulties. And so for these believers, one of the marks is, while we live in this in-between time, God's Spirit promises to give us times of refreshing, to meet us where we are with what we need for that day, breath back in our lungs, strength back in our legs, so that we have what we need for that day. And that promise is going to get tested, because in about five minutes after Peter preaches this second sermon, he is arrested in front of family and friends, and put in prison. So Peter has two sermons, and Luke wants us to see these because what he talks about in these sermons uh, is foundational for their faith and it's foundational for our faith. So let me just offer a bit of uh, questions for us just as we conclude and I'll invite the, the team to come back up at this time. You know, one of the things I'm challenged again and again about is that the good, it needs to be good news to us first that the good news needs to be good news to the church, first and foremost. And so maybe today, it means embracing a lifestyle of repentance. And maybe there's things in our hearts and things in our life that we know we need to change, and we need to repent. We need to go in a new direction and walk towards the life that the Lord is offering to us. Maybe it's we need to discern the gifts that God has given to us and use them. It's time, maybe during the pandemic, you got out of volunteering, you got disconnected in some possible way, and now maybe it's time to get back. The church needs the gifts that you have. Maybe there's been some things competing for lordship in your life, and they've had too much time and too much attention and too much of your ear. And maybe today you would just simply say, Lord, Jesus, you are my Lord, and I'm declaring my life and my devotion to you. And maybe today you just need a time of refreshing. Maybe this has been a difficult, a challenging, or a heavy season. And you just need the Spirit of God to meet you where you are and put new breath back in your minds. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for these sermons, these words that you gave to Peter at just an important time. At this time when people are wondering, what is essential to faith? Lord, it's a question for us to wrestle with today as well as we want to be your people. But let this good news be good news to us first. May the conversion that takes place be in our hearts first. The repentance that needs to be called for be from our lives 
first. That the life of surrender and devotion be us leading the charge. And our experience of you meeting us day in and day out, refreshing us for the journey. May we embody the very message that our world so desperately needs to hear. We pray.